Welcome to Private Club Radio, the industry's first and only program dedicated to education, news, events, trends and announcements. Broadcasting from Tampa, Florida, ladies and gentlemen, here is your host, Gabriel Aloisi. I have so much fun bringing this show to you each week, but this week is something that was really fun for me more so than others, just because it's a subject that we've never covered on the show, something I know next to nothing about. We're going to be talking retail today on Private Club Radio, and our guest is a retail consultant specialist for the private club industry. Her name is Amy McLean Ragsdale. During this interview, we're going to discuss the latest trends in fashion and equipment and merchandise in the pro shop. You're going to learn what those hidden gems are in the shop, what's got the biggest potential for driving revenue to your club. We're going to talk about setting your shop up for maximum profitability, and you're going to learn how the retail shop can actually be a cornerstone piece for your other departments to drive revenue throughout the club. I promise you're going to get a ton of value out of this episode. All that and more when we return. Private Club Radio is brought to you by Shake Creative, the premier marketing and design firm, helping prestigious clubs increase and retain their membership. Visit shaketampa.com to learn more. Why do over 60% of boardroom magazines' distinguished clubs choose to partner with Club Essential? The better question is, why not? As the leading provider of club management and marketing software to over 1,400 private clubs, our unified suite of modules are designed to automate club operations while informing and engaging members. From websites to accounting and POS to CRM, online reservations, and mobile apps, Club Essential has all of your club's technology needs covered. Visit clubessential.com to learn how our experienced team can help your club. Again, that's clubessential.com. If you are a regular listener of the show, you're probably getting tired of me talking about this, but this will be your last reminder, I promise. On July 25th at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, we're going to be having the Private Club Radio webinar on marketing to millennials. If your club's looking to drive that younger demographic, if you're searching to replace members that are aging out with younger members, this is an education session that you're going to want to attend. If you're just not sure, but you want to learn a little bit more and actually find out if this is something that you want to attend, go to privateclubradio.com slash millennials. There's a video trailer on there so you can see some of the information that we're going to present. My goal is to give you 10 times the value of the cost of admission. I'm so confident I will give you your money back if you don't get a ton of value from this education session. And I get it. You might not be able to attend, but you probably have a marketing director or a membership professional at your club, and they would be the perfect person to be on this webinar. So please tell them about it. In fact, sign them right up. Marketing to Millennials on July 25th at 2 p.m. Register at privateclubradio.com slash millennials. I'm constantly trying to make this show as engaging as possible for you, the private club professional. So in that effort, I've created a couple of ways that you can participate on this show. The first is you can vote for the topic that you want to hear that is important to you and your club by going to privateclubradio.com slash vote and answering a brief two-question survey. We don't ask any personal information. Just tell us the topic that you would like and what type of club you're interested in, and we're going to find that expert for you. The second way that you can get involved and participate right on the show 
is by going to privateclubradio.com slash inbox. The inbox presented by Club Essential is a monthly discussion that Rick Coffee and I have where we answer questions from the private club industry. If you have a burning question that you would like to ask as it relates to technology, membership, marketing, or just about anything throughout the club, we will answer it for you. And if we can't answer it, we'll just ignore it and pretend it never existed. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We'll find someone to answer that for you. So once again, leave a voicemail for us with that question at privateclubradio.com slash inbox. And don't forget to listen to that segment on July 25th episode. I'm joined today by Amy McLean Ragsdale. She's the president and founder of AMR Retail Consulting Services. She's been consulting for the last 12 years with a client list that includes golf, world's top 100 golf shops, and regional and national merchandiser of the year award winners. Amy was the national retail director for Arnold Palmer Golf Management. She was also a regional merchandise director at American Golf Corporation, at one time one of the largest golf course management companies in the industry. Amy has worked with over 160 courses throughout the United States in all segments, public, private, and resort totaling $45 million in revenue with a proven track record in increasing revenue and gross margin while minimizing inventory investment. Amy began her career in retail as an assistant buyer at the regional department store in Southeast Maison Blanche. From there, she pursued a career with a major apparel manufacturer, Levi Strauss & Company, working in positions in retail marketing and product development on various product lines. Having spent 10 years in retail and apparel manufacturing, Amy then turned her interest to the golf industry. Amy has a Master of Science degree in textile science and merchandising and a Bachelor of Science degree in finance from Louisiana State University. Amy, welcome to Private Club Radio. It's so great to have you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Um, here's what I want to do, Amy. Let's pretend that I have absolutely no retail experience, which may not be too far from the truth. But I'm a pro and I've just got my PGA card. And now I've been thrust into this role of managing a golf shop. Where the heck do I start? Well, typically I try and break it down so that there's different categories or areas um, that a person needs to look at and analyzing a retail operation. It's really no different in terms of approach, whether you're looking at your food and beverage operation, your retail operation, um, marketing and membership maybe for the club. So it is a systematic and strategic approach in order to, um, to, to see the results that you need to see. First and foremost, behind the things that I'm going to talk about is having good data. Mm -hmm. You really need to be in a position where you have a good point of sale system, you can capture sales properly, you can capture your costs properly, because those are things that you're going to need to look at very consistently in order to understand the business, know where you're at, and know when you need to make changes to be successful. Okay. I would say probably, you know, the four major things that I look at when I go into a shop, I start with profiling, I look at merchandise mix, visual presentation, and then promotions. So first and foremost, like you would in any other aspect of the operation, you need to know who your customer is. And I can't stress this enough. I feel like in many cases, shops are kind of put together without true thought as to who the end user is, who the customer is. So you do need to know who your profile is. And in many private clubs, 
not only do you have members, but you also have guests, and you may have various profiles. You may have young families, but you also may have retired empty nesters. Mm -hmm. All of those profiles have to be addressed in the merchandise mix, the presentation, and the marketing of the shop. So I would say the plan absolutely will not work if you don't profile properly first. And so what would you be doing kind of looking through um, the membership of the club and seeing, you know, who's playing, who's playing at the club most? Yep. Okay, cool. That's exactly it. And you look at um, kind of age, um, income level, the basic things that you would look at in creating kind of a customer profile, um, whether they you know, just even how they dress. Do they tend to be more traditional dressers? Are there are they uh, members who come in and ask for specific brands? All those are little pieces of information to help you build the various profiles. And until you have that, then you um you can't really address all the other aspects of the operation. That's a great suggestion to actually see how the people are dressing. And that'll give you a good visual yes. clue of what they actually like to wear. <laughs> so simple, it, it but is. so smart. How long do you usually take to do this profiling? Is it like a week-long process? You take a few months? How, how do you usually go about it? Well, in many cases, the club actually has profiles that they've used in, say, their membership materials. Um, but it's information that doesn't always get translated to the pro shop. So a lot of times the information is always there. And I can typically go in on a visit and sit down with the general manager, the head golf professional, they have a merchandiser, and kind of gather that information. So it's not a long process. I think in many cases, though, they don't think about doing that profile as it relates to the pro shop. They may use it in other aspects of how they position the club and the operations, but not necessarily in the pro shop. Yeah, I can see how it's definitely a cornerstone, though. If you don't know who you're mm-hmm. marketing to or, or right. selling to, then you really can't give them the right products that they'll actually want to buy. That's exactly it. And it's 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 interesting that it is a step that is, in many cases, overlooked. <laughs> sure, sure. Absolutely. So when we got merchandising mix, uh, can you tell me a little bit yes. about that? Well, once you have your profile, then you have to figure out, um, based on that profile, how price sensitive they are. Again, if they're more athletic, what their ages are, are they traditional um, customers and how they dress, and then try and pair up the brands that are out in the market with that. Um, Say they are more an athletic uh, group, or you've got at least one of your profiles that profiles athletically. You're going to be looking at Adidas, Nike, Under Armour, whereas if they dress more traditionally, you may be looking at some Cutter and Buck or Fairway and Green. And that's where you also really need to understand the brand. So I always highly suggest you don't have to purchase from everybody who comes in the shop, but if you're not sure you need to attend trade shows, look at the merchandise, ask them who they think their customer is, and then also um, have them into the shop and do line presentations. That's the only way you're truly going to get to start understanding how those brands look, what are they offering, and how they match up to your customer profile. In merchandise mix as well, the big thing is is to understand pricing. And pricing is not paying for it and then telling me after the fact that, you know what, I can only get so much from my member or the guest, you know, at a particular particular price point. Mm-hmm. Basically, what you want to do is you want to determine what your price points are in the various categories in the shop, what the customer is willing to pay, the members willing to pay, and then again, help match brands and pick styles. They're going to 
work into that price point, and yet you're still getting the margins that you need to. In, tra- so. in traditional retail, I know it's that people are, especially the younger generations, are really reliant on, for instance, Amazon.com. So they might walk into a retail store and they're sort of retail shopping, and they're actually making the purchase on Amazon. So is that happening as well in golf shops, or is that not quite the case? In certain categories, it is. And and let me step back and say that there's about nine categories that I look at in the shop. That's really the only way to properly address the business is to really manage it on a category level. So you've got men's and ladies apparel. You've got bags, gloves, headwear, clubs, accessories, balls, footwear. So every single one of those categories has to be matched a little um, or managed differently depending on the markups you can get. Sure. And I would I would say that apparel, I'm not seeing a lot of online shopping from an apparel standpoint, okay. but clubs and bags and balls even to a degree can definitely be purchased online. And we do have to combat that. And a big piece of what you're offering is convenience and customer service. Absolutely. And I don't think that our, our, our clubs play that up enough. You know what? There's a relationship there with your members and that needs to be leveraged. And we aren't just out there, no customer service, you buy it online. And what we will find, especially in the clubs category, that somebody wants to purchase it online, but if they have any issues with it, they want to come back to their director of golf or their head golf professional sure. and then ask them to help service it. So, you know, those are the things that I think we really don't discuss enough when we're creating the relationship with our members in the club that, you know, customer service comes along with every purchase you make. And that's, something you need to factor in before you decide to purchase it online. Yeah, and you can't put a price tag on that sort of service and and, and, and extra care for sure. I, we can't. And I think given how, um, how often people tend to purchase online or get put on hold in an automated telephone system or whatever, that, that having that face-to-face um, interaction and relationship is even more prized now than it has been historically because there are other ways to do it. And I think we're you know, people still miss that that human interaction and want it. And we just need to make sure that that's a piece that we're leveraging sure. as part of the overall, you know, marketing of the pro shop. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of a benchmark, what generally are you looking for as an ideal markup on the inventory items in the club? Well, and that's why you really need to separate it out by category. Markups on clubs are much lower. You may only get 10%, 20%, it really is driven by what's the competition in the market. Okay. If that particular club also gives a member discount, um, in many cases, the best way to go is map pricing because you see that in off-course um, shops as well. And map pricing is minimum advertised pricing. Mm-hmm. So you're not allowed to go any lower than that. Um, and in some cases, club vendors will really hold you to that pricing structure, or they may possibly, you know, uh, suspend your account if you don't. Um, and so you probably are making the smallest margin on clubs and then maybe bags. Footwear, we like to say there's a 40% margin, but that's your initial markup. It's definitely lower than what you get in apparel. Soft goods, which are apparel and headwear, apparel is going to be at least 50%. So that's adding in what your cost is, what your freight is if you don't track it separately, what your logo cost is, and then basically doubling that. And that would be the 50% markup. In many facilities, depending on you know the level of price sensitivity, they may go a little bit higher than that. 
That doesn't mean that's going to be your out-the-door price because we've certainly got, as I said, member discounts, and then we're going to have promotions periodically, but that's what you start with. The two categories you probably make the most money on are going to be accessories, which are typically a 60% markup, and headwear, which is a 60% markup. So that's another way to kind of manage your overall margin, knowing that in certain categories, you're going to make more margin than in others and just kind of balancing that. Okay. Are there like one or two items in particular that are sort of hidden gems, if you will, that sell really well, have a great markup um, out there? Is there one or two examples you can give me? Well, and I would say definitely headwear is one of them. It's varied. It's got an overall lower price point. The average retail price point is about $20 to $25, depending on the shop. And uh, if you purchase it correctly and you plan correctly, you can get it at really nice cost, and it creates a good money maker. And if the mix is right in terms of the colors, the fabrics, creative name drops, as well as the logo, you can continue to have repeat customers with that. So I would say headwear is something you definitely need to to manage properly, and it can be quite a little success in the shop. The other piece is accessories, having your divot repair tools, your ball markers, um, possibly cigars, eyewear, um, and ladies, it could be jewelry or belts. Those are things, again, where the price isn't significant and you end up with a nice markup on it. It's just you need to manage that inventory because accessories, because there's so many things that fall into that category, can tend to get bloated, sure. if you will. Sure. It's interesting, but, at least at my club, and I, I've, I've walked into mm-hmm. plenty of golf shops uh, along the yeah. along the way, and a lot of times hats are sort of buried in a corner or behind the, oh. the counter or something. So I, I know that's what we're going to talk about next is visual presentation, but if I would assume that you want to put your biggest money makers in front and center, right? Absolutely. I can't stress enough, uh, you know, that all this goes hand in hand. The visual presentation of headwear, if you you always need to have headwear near the counter. So I always try and have my headwear fixture shelving. Wherever I'm placing my headwear, it needs to make a statement. So you can't have it sprinkled throughout the shop because then it gets lost. Mm -hmm. It needs to be a statement piece right next to the counter. It tends to be an impulse buy where people are standing in line um, while they're being checked in. Or again, everybody goes up to the the check-in counter. So that's what you're going to be looking at. Another uh, thing that needs to be closed is your balls and your gloves. Again, these are kind of staple items, and I have found that if they're close to the counter, then, you know, in terms of uh, the sales, much higher than if they're not, you know, kind of sprinkled around. Just like the candy bars at CVS that always attract me. (laughs) Exactly, which you have to have. And if they were in the candy aisle, which you would never, no, you know, I, I refuse see. to go down the candy aisle. I, I, it's too dangerous. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. But I mean, it's the exact same thing. You've got a lot of impulse buying. And I think what people need to remember is that the pro shop isn't like food and beverage. You're not drawn because there's a hunger there. The vast majority of the time, it, it isn't a purchase they absolutely have to make during that visit to the club. So it needs to be as enticing and easy to purchase as possible. Try and keep the shop clean. What I have found in the shops, because typically the pro shop isn't a large footprint compared to a lot of off-course retailers, is that fixtures tend to be too high, tables stacked on top of one another, or you'll have a mannequin on top of a table that's tiered, and you can't see through the shop. The shop needs to be, when you walk in, you can easily see where everything's located. It needs to be organized. 
fixtures need to be clean. There's housekeeping that has to happen in the pro shop. No one wants to shop off a messy fixture or a dusty or dirty fixture. So simple things like that make the merchandise shine. And I think that's another area where really there's not enough training and attention to detail on how things are laid out. It's amazing what you can do in an afternoon if you know how to place the fixtures properly and kind of get the shop cleaned up where what's in the shop is the customer's drawn to. Because in many cases, I'll walk in and the merchandise mix is actually a pretty good mix, but it gets lost in the way it's presented visually. So I would say you can't do enough to keep your fixtures kind of clean, organized. You know, everything's on the hanger properly, folded accessories like towels, nothing hanging from the ceiling, nothing taped to the walls. It needs to be a clean presentation so the merchandise really shines. How about in terms of uh, genders or uh, maybe youth versus adults? I know like when I walk into like a Gap or, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, one of these stores in the mall, generally the men's clothes are kind of tucked away in the back, which I I always kind of get bummed out by. (laughs) My wife, you know, gets her clothes right up front. So is there something uh, in particular in terms of gender placement that you want to do in the golf shop? Well, you certainly want to keep ladies and men's separated. And in resort shops, I will see almost a 50-50 ratio in terms of sales. But in the vast majority of clubs, um, you sell a lot more men's than you do in ladies. And so honestly, the retail space in terms of the floor space needs to go to that category. And I will in many cases see that they've allocated a little too much space to the ladies area when in fact, you know, the sales may be double or two and a half times in men's what you're seeing in ladies apparel. So you just have to be conscious that you don't over allocate space to a category that just is not generating as much sales. So in the club, you are definitely king in most places in terms of presentation. But the ladies' department can't get lost as well. And that's why I call it a department. You know, we need to have the headwear close. If there's a way to keep the shoes all together but have the ladies separated, they need to be able to find their stuff and understand that there's a statement for them in there as well. And it's not just buried among, you know, one of the many other uh, fixtures that's in the shop. And youth is the same way. It's a small segment of the business but it needs to be clearly delineated so that the customers walking through, they do know that they, you know the shop carries children's mm-hmm. um, and that may be even junior stuff for teenagers or you know, for very young children. Excellent. Perfect. That's what I wanted to know. Thank you. Yep. So our last uh, piece of the cornerstones here is promotion. What do you have to say yes. about promotion in the retail shop? Well, again, that's something that can't be, it's, it's not like you build it and they will come. It, you have to really think about when you're going to do your holiday promotions, if you've got events at the club where adding an additional retail promotion may um, add overall value to the event, there's another channel of, of, I guess, customers, and that's for tournament and event business. So that shouldn't be left to chance. That has to be planned out where if you've got somebody coming in to book an event, you've also got some merchandise opportunities to present to them as well when they are booking the event. The same time they're looking at food and beverage and maybe some of the other amenities at the club, they understand that they can also purchase purchase merchandise from from you as well. Mm -hmm. And then two of the things that have always been around, and I would say they've kind of waned and then come back again, is um, demo days and trunk shows. 
And they really help you reduce your inventory, not have as much inventory risk, allow you to try new vendors um, and get a read on them before you bring them into the shop. But I would say whether it's a trunk show for ladies or, you know, for maybe holiday events, whether it's a demo day, to make sure that the club is staffed properly and that if there's a way to wrap in food and beverage and create more of an event or possibly get multiple vendors there, do that. Do not do it halfway. It's better to just do fewer events and do them fully and market them properly and give time for people to know that you're going to have that event than to just kind of do some drive-bys and say, you know, that that type of promotion doesn't work for me. This is kind of an off-the-wall question that popped in my head, but I'm just going to ask it. <laughs> um, sure. You know, a lot of times I've played it in these charity tournaments that might be at a private club or or whatnot. And, you know, I'm either getting maybe a shirt or even some of the better tournaments, you might be getting some shoes and things like that. And oftentimes I feel that the that merchandise is maybe coming in from a third party. So maybe... Um, you know, the charity tournament has a, a you know, a mm-hmm. t-shirt guy that did the t-shirts for him or the polos that got embroidered. Have you seen clubs start to like stipulate that, uh, you know, if you're going to, yeah, we'd love to have you have a tournament here at our club, but in exchange, you know, you need to buy the merchandise from us. Does that kind of thing happen ever? Oh, it it absolutely did happen more. I would say 15 years ago when I first got into the industry mm-hmm. where they were able to kind of mandate merchandise credits mm-hmm. and have merchandise purchased from the shop. Um, you know, with competition and the way that the market has been over the last five or six years, I definitely don't see that as much in terms of it being mandated. However, at the same time, I also think that it's something that does need to be offered and that people do have to be creative. What you have to remember, especially with events, is not everybody plays golf consistently. Right. So those players who are showing up for this charity event or this particular tournament may be interested in getting something else. And there's a wealth of other options outside of Mm golf-related shoes, apparel, accessories um, that can be offered that I think, again, adds value and creates a broader interest in terms of people being happy with what they got at the event. But, you know, you have to spend some time and do some planning so that you've got some golf and non-golf options available. I played this other uh, tournament and it was in Black Diamond. You're also from Florida. You're from Orlando, Amy. Mm -hmm. Our listeners, uh, this is an all Florida show today. Um, So Black Diamond's a a beautiful property, very unique. It's in Lacanto, Florida, and it's built into a quarry. It's it's, it's, um, an old stone quarry. And so you Florida, everyone thinks of as so flat, but on this course you have hundred foot, 200 foot drops because you're, you're driving the ball right down into a quarry. It's very interesting club. Anyway, to make a long story short, they gave attendees of this tournament, like a $10 gift certificate. It was built into the price of the tournament. Mm -hmm. And that of course brought all the players back in, you know, to get their $10 worth, whether they just went cheap and got a couple uh, ball markers to, to get their $10 but a lot of people I saw, you know, were leaving then with bags of, of, of things. What other kind of creative ideas do you have, Amy, to capture when you have, a, you know, a lot of guests at your club, whether it's for a wedding or for a golf tournament mm-hmm. or what, what, what the case may be? What creative things have you seen that have really worked? Well, I would say definitely what you saw there was a perfect way. You've got a captive audience, and yet many people do not put what I call bounce-back coupons onto 
the carts when they're set. And bounce back in many cases can mean come back for another round of golf. Bounce back in retail terms means come back in the shop after you're finished and use this credit that I've given you because it's only going to be a valid day of. The big thing you don't want is people to walk away with their credit or to walk away with without purchasing anything. Right. So the goal really is to create some type of incentive to get them back into the shop. And I would say people definitely don't use that. It doesn't take very long to print them out and to set them on the cards when you're setting up and pulling cards for an event. And that way you'd be surprised how many people come in and redeem, especially if you say day of and you give them a nice credit. It's no different than doing a discount in the shop. The people feel like they have money in their hands mm-hmm. when it's a credit. And um, so I, w- I would say that that's, that is a great way for groups. And the other piece, too, is we always just think about our golf outings. We don't think that, hey, for renting the banquet space, there's, again, a variety of things that you can have logoed that can be used for wedding treats. Absolutely. Or, so, and and we re- that's a category that for as much business as some clubs do, they don't ever extend the retail piece of it into the marketing when they're selling space or for a banquet. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you've got yeah. the groomsman gifts, you have um, exactly. the the giveaway items that all the guests get. There's a word for that. that I can't remember right now. Um, what are those take home yeah. gifts that everybody gets? Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that all, exactly. that all can come right from the shop. I mean, that's the great thing about having your uh, place set up for these types of events is there's so many ways to cross promote and cross sell from all the departments that you have. And I think they're definitely underutilized. So I absolutely agree. You're right. And it's, you know, it's a captive audience and you're selling in, you're planning all this and you don't just have to, I mean, these are things where you can call up a vendor, open an account and place a special order. You don't necessarily have to have that merchandise in the shop. So it extends your sales with, again, no inventory risk because you know that once the order is paid for, it's, you know, once you order it, it's going to be paid for and then it's out the door. So it's nice turn, no inventory risk. And it's just, these are areas where, we have to think beyond the golfer and beyond the pro shop space in terms of trying to generate revenue. I love that. I love that. I want to talk to you a little bit about trends. Um, you know, of course, there's a differentiation of being on the cutting edge and being on the bleeding edge, right? <laughs> so, yeah. um, you know, how quickly should private clubs be reacting to to trends, whether it's fashion or equipment or merchandise? You know, should you be waiting a few months? Should be right on the cutting edge? Should be you changing looks as they hit the runway, you know, in your opinion, what should clubs be looking at? Well, I will tell you, I mean, we typically don't see trends. You'll see trends in retail well before they kind of translate into the golf industry. So from that perspective, you can only purchase what's there unless you're going outside of golf uh, vendors to purchase. Um, but I really think what people do need to think about is that, again, the golf shop is not just the golf shop. We're in a industry uh, focus right now where memberships are being sold because they're being sold for activities and events and a place to go for the entire family. The wife may or may not golf. The kids may play in the pool, um, use the fitness facility. It's not just about golf. And I don't think that we are always looking at our merchandise mix to reflect that. Mm -hmm. So One of the biggest things that we can do is continue to add non-golf-related items, brands into the shop. You have lifestyle brands like Peter Millar. Yes, they do have golf shirts, but their shirts are also ones that can be worn to work. They have layering pieces. They have button-down shirts to go with it. They have accessories. These are the kind of items that are bought 
for a golfer and a non-golfer. You have, you know, lifestyle brands on the ladies' side like Catherine Way, which are beautiful, simple dresses that are easy to merchandise in the shop. Again, for the lady who may not golf but who's interested in purchasing and, you know, spending some money there, um, we need to focus more on the fitness aspect, and we're actually seeing more golf brands, especially on the ladies' side, incorporate almost fitness-like items into their lines. Um, Brands like Under Armour have an entire fitness line that if you're buying their golf-related products, you also have access to that. I really think we need to think about who, again, that member is and that they're not there just to play golf and that we need to have things in the shop that will get them in various types of accessories, candles or jewelry, jewelry that extend outside of, you know, your basic golf-related jewelry. So that's really the biggest trend that I'm seeing now is just trying to make sure that the golf shop, and I, I try not to call it the golf shop anymore because technically yeah. if it's going to be relevant, it's a retail shop. Right. It's going to have golf and non-golf related items in it. And if the club is positioning themselves to kind of be that destination place and not just a place where you play golf, then the retail shop really needs to reflect that as well. Oh, great point. Excellent. Where are you spotting trends? I know there's the PJ fashion and demo experience happening in Las Vegas, middle of mm-hmm. August here. Where else are you sort of getting your hot items? Where are they coming from for you? Well, and that's, I mean, I do go to the PGA show, uh, both the big one in Orlando, sometimes to the Vegas show. Um, Stuff also comes from the gift marts. Mm -hmm. They have gift marts all over the country in the major markets in Dallas, Atlanta, New York, L.A., and a lot of the more savvy buyers in the golf industry are heading there to bring in non-retail or non-golf-related items into their shops. So that's been a nice resource Mm. for me as well. What's also nice about going to Vegas is that it allows you to go to Magic, which is the huge retail a trade show that they have twice a year. It's in February and also in August. So again, you've got the option of seeing your golf-related vendors at the PGA show, but then you also, in many cases, have easy access to Magic, which is an enormous retail venue um, in terms of a trade show. And I think you know buyers are going to need to continue to look outside of what's being offered just in the core kind of golf arena. And and we are seeing them extend their lines more because they do recognize that they have to address items, styles outside of golf. But I think, you know, savvy buyers will continue to look outside in those other trade shows, whether it be the gift marts, uh, gift trade shows, or magic to bring in lines that can create a broader audience for the shop. Last question that I always ask, the bucket list question. So if there's like one club out there that someone's got to see, and maybe you relate relate this to the retail world, if there's one great retail setup out there, what is it for you, Amy? Well, and honestly, I've never been there, which is embarrassingly, you know, sad, but I, Pebble Beach is the, is kind of the, when you think about golf retail, Pebble Beach is just the only name that, in my mind, that truly comes up. I would love to see the various shops, how everything is laid out, um, their assortments. It's a unique operation. I'm not sure that, you know, how much could translate to other private clubs or resorts out there, but it's 
it would be on my bucket list in terms of a place I would like to just walk through and and really absorb the operation because it is so large. Wow, I didn't know that it was like that. You know, you only think of the golf course and I think of Pebble Beach. No, no, no. See, you learn something new every day. Yeah. yeah you Believe me, when you walk out of there, you won't just be spending money on golf. <laughs> <laughs> I was in, a, I saw something I'd never, I'd never seen any place like it. It was St. Andrews in Boca Raton. And it was like walking into, you know, a store in the mall. It was really impressive. I'd never been into wow. a, a retail shop at a club, anything like it. Well, and I think, again, that's those are the kinds of shops that I think people are going to really have to start looking at and aspiring to because yeah. it, it can't be your – it's not your father's club and it's <laughs> not your father's pro shop if they're going to stay in business. Huh, exactly. So. Yeah, they got they got us. It's not going to be long where the, the women's uh, and children's is going to be right up front and center, I think. Oh, I agree with you. I, if, if, if they keep everything in line and really you've got it, when you're marketing a club, you've got to be consistent across – every aspect of operations, then this is, this has to follow in terms of, of, of focusing on it. I think it's, you know, in many cases, the pro shop's kind of the last, the last area of operations they look at if they've kind of got everything else in place. But it's ironically the place that people step into usually first when they're checking in. So right. it definitely needs some attention sometimes. Excellent, Amy. Thank you so much. It's really been wonderful to speak with you about this. Now, how do folks engage AMR Retail Consulting and yourself? Uh, what ways do you work with clubs? And how can they get in touch with you? Um, well, by email, by phone. Um, so I'd be more than happy to give you that contact information. And um, and basically, my services are whatever is needed. You know, we basically will have a conversation, decide what what needs to be looked at in the shop, and then kind of determine what the action plan is going to be. All right. So if folks want to find out about you, Amy, I will put their your contact information up on Private Club Radio on your guest page. They can email you and call you right from there. That's perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. You are a wonderful guest. Thank you. I appreciate the time. I trust you now understand why I was so excited about having Amy on the show. There were a ton of lessons there I hope you can take back to your club and start to drive more revenue to the retail space. If you're listening to this show for the first time, I want to let you know that you can subscribe to this show. We have a podcast feed available on iTunes and Android. We try to make it very easy so that every Monday morning you have a new episode waiting for you. If you'd like to become a subscriber to the show, it's absolutely free. You just go to privateclubradio.com slash subscribe, and we have some instructions on how you can get this show right on your mobile phone. Some other ways you can do it is by going to the podcast app on your iPhone or downloading either the Stitcher app or downloading the show from Google Play Music on your Android. Don't forget to sign up for the July 25th webinar on marketing to millennials. And until next week, here's to your membership success. Just because this round is over doesn't mean you can't enjoy the 19th hole. Check out privateclubradio.com for more.